What's up? You guys doing good? Are y'all doing all right? Like, that was kind of weak. Awesome. Hey, welcome. Happy Thursday, right? Summertime. Are days even, like, real in the summer? Like, Friday? Con- Anybody, like, have to go to a job tomorrow? Anybody? That sucks. Tomorrow's my day off. Ugh. Get to sleep in until 5.45 when my daughter wakes up. It's awesome, let me tell you. I think I'm kidding. Uh, my name's Connor. I'm one of the pastors here. I know Andrew did this already, but just real quick, show of hands. Anybody first time here? First time. Man, we got, we got like a lot of new people here, right? That's awesome. Hey, I say it every week, um, but I just kind of want to acknowledge it can be really weird and like really awkward walking into a church. Maybe for the first, is, any, is it anybody's first time like ever being in a church? Ever being in a church? Okay, I don't, I don't think I see a hand. Anybody first time in a long time coming back? First time in a while? All right, but it's your first time. Awesome. Hey, it can be weird. It can be uncomfortable stepping into an environment you're not familiar with. That takes some bravery and some courage. And I just want to let you know, like, we're grateful that you decided to do that. We don't take that lightly. Um, We appreciate the fact that you decided to put yourself into this environment and in this situation. And all that we're asking of you is your wallet, your money to give to the church. No, I'm totally kidding. That's what everybody thinks of when they think of church, right? Like, no, the only thing that we want to do tonight is talk about Jesus. And I'm very aware if it's your first time here, maybe you've been coming for a while, that there might be a lot of different thoughts or opinions about Jesus, who he is and the role that he might play in your life. And that's okay. You don't have to sign on the dotted line or believe everything that I believe or that we as a church necessarily believes right now. But I do feel that I have an obligation to share with you who Jesus is because of what he's done in my life. I honestly believe that the person of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the way of following Jesus is the most radically transformative experience I've ever had. And I honestly believe that Jesus is more than like a teacher or like some hippie, like from way back in the day with some good thoughts. I genuinely have come to this place where I've like, I know this sounds weird, like I've met Jesus. And I actually believe he is who he says he is, that he's he's God. And that if you... My challenge for you, if it's your first time here, would simply be this. Relax, take a deep breath, and consider what I'm going to talk about tonight. That maybe Jesus is who he says he is, and the the teachings that he has for us are good. And I believe that you might actually be able to meet with him tonight. And when you do, he will radically change your life forever. So I forgot to tell you guys, you can sit down, you don't have to stand this whole time. Normally, you just naturally sit down, so it was kind of just throwing me off for a little bit. But hey, the past couple of weeks, we have been in our summer series where we've just kind of opened the Bible and we've just examined different stories or maybe different characters and just kind of looked at what God has for us from these major stories or major players of faith throughout the Bible. Um, and two weeks ago, we actually celebrated young adults' very first baptism where we had like what? Anywhere from 46 to like 50 people get baptized. The number's like fluctuating. But, but it was amazing. We had like around 50 people come uh, out in public with their faith, professing their faith that they are followers of Jesus. And it was absolutely amazing. And so I don't know if you follow us on Instagram or follow Red Rocks, but the next time we have a baptism service, if you missed it, literally drop everything and get here because it is absolutely incredible. 
Um, and I'm kind of excited for tonight. I haven't been up on stage in a while. Um, and, I, and God's just been letting some things like ruminate and like marinate in my heart, like crockpot style. Um, and, and I honestly had no intention of preaching on this this week. Um, I was going to talk about Moses, which I might in the future. But as I was kind of reading and just in like my personal devotion, this jumped out like so, so deep. You know when you're just kind of like reading the Bible or something and something like jumps out and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know why, but it feels like God is speaking directly to me. I just had one of these moments and for the past week and a half, I've just been wrestling in my mind and in my soul with, with what I'm gonna talk to you guys about tonight. And I, I honestly believe that tonight our time together can challenge you and potentially push you closer to Jesus. If you would just allow this word to sort of prod at your faith a little bit or maybe prod at this season of life or the situation that you might find yourself in. I believe that tonight God has a word for not just like you guys, me giving it to you, but this has been a word that I've been wrestling with in my life. And so I, I hope that those are the best ones. Um, and so, yeah, I'm excited for tonight, but I'll shut up and we'll dive in. All right. Mark chapter nine. We're going to go to Mark chapter nine. I'm going to set the scene really quick. Peter, James, and John were just led up to a mountainside with Jesus and saw him transfigured. Now, if you're not familiar with what that is, Jesus like goes up on top of this mountain and becomes like heavenly Jesus. Like he, he the Bible says that his clothes like become as white as like the whitest bleach, which is kind of funny because they didn't have bleach back in the day. So like whoever like filled that in an English translation was just trying to give us a picture of it. But like Jesus is like glowing. And then on top of that, Moses and Elijah are with him. And James and John and Peter are like, oh my gosh, they're freaking out. And they have this incredible moment where they see Jesus in all of his glory. And they walk back down uh, from this mountain and they're, they're greeted with this situation. Jesus um, has this incredible moment on a mountaintop and then he's met with this situation. And Mark 9, starting in verse 14, says this. It said, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And as soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you guys arguing about? Jesus asked. And a man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground and he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they couldn't. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long will I stay with you? How long will I put up with you? Bring me the boy. So they brought, they brought him the boy, and when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell on the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, the dad answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water, even to try to kill him. But Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said. Man, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, Jesus, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit, you deaf and mute spirit. He said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Dude, that is... That's some powerful stuff. The spirit shrieked and convulsed the boy violently and then came out. 
The boy looked so much like a corpse that a man said that he's dead, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. Tonight, I wanna talk to you guys about the power of belief. And so if you're taking notes, the title of my message is simply this. It's, It's called, For the Ones Who Believe. For the ones who believe, let's pray and we're gonna dive in. Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to meet with you and your people tonight. God, I pray that tonight you would speak a word to our hearts that would challenge us in areas where we need challenged. I pray that you would encourage us in areas that we need encouraged. God, I pray that you would build our faith and build our belief and not just who you are, but what you say is good and right and true. And God, more than anything tonight, I pray that Jesus, we can have an encounter with you that would change us and and leave us different than how we walked in this room tonight. Jesus, we love you. This is all for you. All the lights, all the smoke, all the whatever. It's just all so that we can draw into a moment with you. And so would you meet with us in this moment? It's in your name we pray and everybody said, amen and amen. I got a question for you guys. Have you ever had a moment in your life where your belief or your beliefs were challenged? Have you ever had a moment in your life where what you believed was challenged? For some of us, any college graduates in the room? Any college grads? Awesome. For some of us, we had a deep belief that college was valuable until we saw how long and how much we owe on that school. We had a moment. I'm kidding. For those of you that are currently in school right now, I'm joking. Kind of. (laughs) Enjoy paying for your college for the rest of your life. Um, No, have you ever had this moment in your life where something that you believed was challenged? I know for me growing up, um, I thought I hated sushi. I, I was one of those guys like gross, raw fish. No, like I don't want it. But that was because my only exposure to sushi was the six-day-old California roll from King Supers, right? Like when I was introduced, when I was exposed to like real sushi, my belief about my hatred for sushi changed. Have you ever had a moment where what you believed was sort of challenged? I remember um, hearing all the time growing up as a kid that Jesus was a carpenter. And I don't know why, I just had this image of like teenage Jesus or like, you know, young adult Jesus in the wood shop with his dad being like, just making this mid-century modern chair, this, you know, this scando boho kind of table sort of thing. It's like, dad, trust me, I, you know, I'm, I'm both past and present. It'll, it'll be a thing in 2021. But I had the opportunity to go to Israel uh, with some close friends. And we got the opportunity to go to Nazareth where Jesus um, lived and was born in, well, he was born in Bethlehem, but he lived in Nazareth. And so we went to Nazareth and we, part of Nazareth was this big attraction where they sort of made this village to kind of replicate what it would be like in Jesus's day. And it was awesome. Like walking through Nazareth, walking through this village, um, it just made so much sense. Like a ton of Jesus's illustrations, just everything from like the landscape to like what was going on. Like it made the Bible like come to life. And we had this Jewish tour guide who had grown up in Israel and, and just kind of knew everything that he was talking about. And I remember almost like offhandedly, we're walking through this like replica village and he was just like, there was this like little masonry building shop. And he was like, and this is sort of something that Jesus would have worked in when, when he was younger. You know, he's like, English translations say that Jesus was a carpenter, but that's not true. Jesus was more of like a handyman. He was a builder. He didn't just do carpentry. He worked with like wood and stone and he would like build houses or fix things. Like Jesus wasn't really a carpenter. 
And I don't know why. I'm like, that like offended me. I'm like, no, he's a carpenter. Because I have this like book that I read when I was like three that said he was a carpenter. My parents told me he was a carpenter. Jesus is a freaking carpenter, man. I don't care if you're Jewish and you've lived here your whole life and you're from Nazareth and you kind of know like, I don't know why. It just like challenged something that I had believed from like such a young age. Like who cares if Jesus did a mid-century modern table or he like, you know, like carved something out of stone. Like, like what does that really matter? But like, I don't know why I was like so offended. My, my belief that I had held for such a long time was challenged. I'll make a really long story short, but when I was in high school, I got invited to a Penn State football camp. It was like a Penn State uh, football recruitment camp. Now, come to find out, I was invited because it was really my friend that they were looking at recruiting. He went on to be a D1 athlete on that level, and I guess they were just like, hey, bring some friends. But like, uh, I went to this Penn State football camp, and if you've been coming to YA for a while, you'll know I had this dream, this belief deep in my core that my purpose on this earth was to be an NFL football player and to lead the Minnesota Vikings to their very first Super Bowl. I don't know why. Passionate Vikings fan. I need that. Let's go. <laughs> Skull, yes. All right. All right. Um, but that was just, I just knew deep in my core that, that that is why God created me. And so I get this little letter, you're invited to this Penn State camp. And I'm just like, duh, of course, here it is. Like, this is just like my path, my road. This is God opening the doors for what I know that I'm supposed to do. And so I went to the outside linebacker, like position area. And you'd spend like all week, all day, kind of at your position. And then you would, uh, at, at the end of the day, like go on to these scrimmages. And I remember the very first day, very first day, I, I was with the outside linebackers. We were lining up to do drills. We were, we were reading feet. We were like, you know, if a lineman would step forward, you fill. If it's a pull, is it a pass? And I'll be honest, I freaking crushed this drill. I was like, the offers are going to be rolling in like any, <laughs> any second. Here is the only problem. I was surrounded by like 6'2", 6'3", 330 pound guys with 0% body fat. And I was like, hey, are you a coach? No, I'm 16. I'm thinking about like coming here and playing. <laughs> yeah, me too, huh? You, uh, how, how tall are you? Yeah, 6'2". Doctor says I'll probably be like 6'3", 6'4", by the end of it. Yeah, I'm five. I'm, I'm pushing six, you know, <laughs> pushing six. How much do you weigh? 235? Cool. I'm... I'm 190 right now, but I'm getting there. You got a six-pack under that shirt? Yeah, you do? I do, too. They just only had a double XL shirt, so that's why you can't tell. But I freaking crushed my outside linebacker Penn State drills. The only problem was so did about 40 other guys that were 6'3", 240 pounds, and could run a four-flat. Like, I had this moment at a Penn State camp where this belief that I held was challenged by the sheer physical ability of other people. And this belief that I was going to be an NFL player quickly came, not just crashing down, but just was like obliterated when I saw my best against what a real D1 athlete at that level looked like. Have you ever had a moment in your life where something you actually believed was challenged? Where belief you held was challenged. In Mark chapter 9, we find this interesting dialogue between Jesus and a father about the power of belief. In Mark 9, we are introduced to this unnamed man, this father, in what would be one of the most difficult and heartbreaking situations a parent could ever 
find themselves in. Since childhood, this man's son had been tormented by a demonic spirit that has completely eliminated his ability to have any type of normalcy in his life. And it's gotten so bad to the point that not only has this demon robbed this child of speech and physical health, but the father tells Jesus that there's even moments in this boy's life where this demon will take over his son and try to kill him by throwing him into a fire or or drowning him in water. And can I just tell you as a parent, I was like, do we, need to get, do we need to get out of here? Like, what is happening? Can I just tell you guys, though, as a parent, when you have a child who is in danger, there is literally nothing you will not do to help that child. As a parent, when there's something wrong with your kid, there is no amount of money you will not pay. There is no amount of time you will not give. There's no amount of research or work you will not put in to make sure that your child is okay. I remember, uh, I've shared this with some of you guys before, but uh, we have a little girl, she's one and a half, and she has a load of allergies. And the way we found that out was we got a call from our daycare one day saying that our daughter had gone into anaphylactic shock and she was struggling to breathe. And I remember pulling into that daycare and seeing my daughter's face like so swollen that her tongue was sticking out and, and she was crying, but you couldn't really tell. You could just see the tears dripping down her face. She, she looked almost unrecognizable. And, I, and, and literally, if you would have told me, there is nothing I wouldn't have given, nothing I wouldn't have done. If I could have traded places with her in a heartbeat, it wouldn't have even been a thought in my head. As a parent, there's nothing you will not do to make sure your child is okay. And when we're in Mark 9, we meet a parent who is exhausting every single one of his resources to try to find peace and try to find healing for his son. And so at some point, he has obviously heard that Jesus and his followers can do some pretty amazing things. He's obviously heard about Jesus and heard about the people that follow Jesus and live with Jesus and do life with Jesus because he finds some of Jesus' disciples, some of the followers of Jesus, and he takes his son to them in hopes that he can heal them, in hopes that these disciples can heal his son. Now, think about this. When your child is in pain, when your child is, there's this stigma in this society that like for some reason you have done something wrong to get your child this way. That God is punishing you or punishing your child because of a sin, an unconfessed issue or error. And we know that's not true. But even for this dad to take his son and bring him into public, it's, it's hard, it's humiliating, but he is so desperate in this moment that he will do anything in his power to see his son delivered and be set free. And so he takes his boy to the disciples of Jesus and says, can you set my son free? And they try. I don't know what that that looks like. I've never tried to set a demon free. I I don't know what that process is like, but they try and they try and they can't do it. And once again, this father is met with failure, the the inability to get his son the freedom that he so desperately wants. He brings his kid to the disciples of Jesus only to be disappointed once again. Until Jesus walks down the mountain and arrives on the scene. Until Jesus enters into the moment. And we see that Jesus approaches this man about his son and his condition. 
And Mark records what I believe is one of the most amazing and powerful conversations about the power of belief. It says this in Mark 9. It said, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has this kid been like this? From childhood, since he was a kid, the dad answered. It's, it's often even tried to throw him into fire, into water to kill him. But Jesus, man, if there is anything, literally anything you can do, would you have pity on me and my boy? And would you help me? And Jesus' response is so interesting in this moment. He says, if you can. Listen, everything is possible for the one who believes. And immediately, like, this is one of the most human responses in the world. The boy's father exclaims, Jesus, I believe. But will you help me overcome my unbelief? Jesus, with this desperate father at the end of the line, having exhausted all of his resources, throws himself at the mercy of Jesus and said, Jesus, if you can, will you help us? And Jesus says, man, I'm right here. And there is absolutely nothing I cannot do. But can you believe me for it? And with a lifetime of disappointment, a lifetime of failed attempts, a lifetime of doctor's visits that can't do anything and healer's visits that fall short, a lifetime of watching his son be tormented and totally out of his control. I'm sure all of these past scenarios, all of these past moments running through this father's mind, he cries out and says one of the most human and relatable things I think ever recorded in all of Scripture. He says, Jesus... To the best of my ability right now, I believe. But man, will you help me in the areas of my life that I don't? Think about this. At your most desperate moment, something you want so deeply, so dearly that you would do anything for it, anything to be set free, that thing in your life that you've promised God over and over and over again that you'll give up, but you just keep finding yourself there. You just run to the feet of Jesus, and Jesus says, I can heal you. If you can believe and you say, Jesus, sh sure, right? Belief? Yeah, sure. Like, Jesus, if you're asking for my belief, yes, Jesus, I believe. But if I'm being honest, I have a lifetime of fear, a lifetime of failure, a lifetime of disappointment that is tempting me to not believe in you. Jesus, I believe. But will you help me? When this unbelief creeps into my heart and Jesus heals his son and rebukes the demon and it leaves and lifts the boy up to life and the boy is set free. But I want to ask you a question because this really grabbed me. This, this was what I was wrestling with uh, over the past like week or two as I was reading this scripture. I want to ask you this question. Why in a moment of pure desperation of a father who wants to see freedom for his boy, why would Jesus be so concerned about what this man believes? Because think about this. Clearly, this man has proven through time and time again that he wants a miracle for his child. Clearly, this man has done all the right things. I'm sure this man has taken his son to the doctor, taken him to this visit, tried this tonic, tried this ritual. I don't know, but when you are a parent, you will exhaust all resources to make sure your kid is okay. Clearly, this man is desperate enough 
to face public humiliation and maybe his son having an episode in front of everybody. Clearly, he is desperate enough to bring him in public to Jesus to find the freedom he is looking for. So in a moment of desperation, why is Jesus so concerned about this father's ability to believe? And as I was reading this and researching this and studying this passage, I honestly think it's because Jesus is trying to show us that your freedom that you're looking for isn't just about your desperation. The freedom that your soul is searching for isn't just about knowing in your head what to do and what not to do. It's not about having discipline or resiliency or the ability to maybe white-knuckle yourself through that same temptation that keeps on coming back and back and back. I think Jesus is trying to show us in this moment that at the heart of the freedom your soul is searching for is your ability to believe. The change that you want is at the heart of what you actually believe about God. I remember as a kid growing up, I was a church kid. And I don't mean like, you know, like I went to church every once in a while. Like I, was, I had to go to church literally all the time. I was like one of those kids. My parents dragged me against my will into church. I'm grateful for it now. And I plan to do that with my kids. But um, that's just, that was just my reality. But like most, you know, 10 to 12 to 13 to 15 year olds, whatever, like there were things in my life that I knew that I had that weren't honoring God, that were keeping me captive, keeping me in a lifestyle, in, in a cycle that I did not want to be in. And, and I would sit in these two to three hour long sermons. Like y'all are lucky, like legit. Like I would, I would have pastors that like, th there was a church across the street from mine, I'm not even kidding. They would start a sermon, have a lunch break and come back and finish the sermon. Like, y'all don't know about church like that. Like, old church, old church basement, Maverick City-style, like, church, church services. I would go to these services, two to three hour long sermons. I would go Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night prayer, youth, even though I tried to avoid it like the plague. I don't know why. I just, like, I, I would be forced to go to all of these things, prayer meetings, whatever. And I would get all this amazing information about what I needed to do if I wanted to experience freedom in my life. I would be in all of these messages. I would have pretty much all the information I needed. I was equipped mentally. I would hear all these amazing messages, all of this information, that if I really wanted to change, if I really wanted to experience freedom that God had for me, that, I've, that I hear about in all of these sermons, all I would need to do was develop a better prayer life. And so as a kid, I would try to pray. But even as an adult, I, I wrestle with eight, a little ADD, and so I can be in prayer in one moment and then like in the NBA finals in the very next. And so, so I would try to pray, but it, but it wouldn't work for me. I couldn't focus. And so that, that just never led me to the freedom that I, I would try to find. Or I would hear messages about how if I only read my Bible more, if I only got in God's word more, I would find the freedom that my soul was looking for. And I would start where you think you would just naturally start. Genesis, right? But then you get like two books in and you're like Leviticus, slaughtering goats, offering sacrifices. I'm so lost. I can't even pronounce half of these people's names. And I, I just quit. Like I wasn't good at taking the information and translating it into change in my life. And what, what happens is over the course of my life of going to church, 
is I accumulated a lot of great information about what I needed to do to change. I had a ton of practical steps. I knew exactly what I needed to do. The only problem was, even though all of these things are amazing and good things that will push you closer to Jesus in your faith, you should pray. You should have a, a constant prayer life. You should read your Bible. And if you don't understand your Bible, wrestle with it. Go to the Bible Project. Figure it out. You can, you can read your Bible. I promise you, there are resources out there that will make this book that feels so intimidating, so accessible to you, and it'll speak life to you. These are amazing things. The only problem with this is none of these things actually changed what I believed in my soul as a kid. I had all the information, all the knowledge, all the resources, but none of this actually changed deep down what I believed in my heart as a kid. And band, you guys can start to make your way on up. What I mean is this. I knew that I needed to pray. I knew that I needed to be in my Bible. I knew that I needed to go to church. I knew all of these things were good and that they could help me in my life. But whenever that temptation would rear its head in my life, I didn't actually believe at my core that these things were better than the temptation that I was facing in the moment. I actually didn't believe at the core of my soul that saving sex until marriage was better, not just like a religious practice, but actually had benefits, was better. Was sa saving sex until marriage was better for me, better for my future spouse, better for my future marriage. I didn't believe at my core that, that God's way was actually better. I didn't believe that forgiveness was actually a better road to walk down than harboring bitterness and, and hatred and holding grudges and wanting to get revenge. I knew all the things that I should do, but I just didn't believe that it was actually better. And so anytime I faced that temptation, I gave in and I stayed a slave. And it wasn't that I didn't have a, a discipline problem. It wasn't that I didn't have a discipline problem. It wasn't that I, I had a knowledge problem. I knew everything that I needed to do. It was that I had a belief problem. I had a belief problem at the core of my soul. I didn't actually believe that I could trust God. At the core of my soul, I didn't actually believe that what God said was good and that His ways for my life were better than the current thing that I was, I was dealing with in that moment of life. If I'm being totally honest with you, I believe that if I followed Jesus, I'd kind of be missing out on some things. If I followed Jesus, that I would, I would look back on my life when I'm 50, 60, 70, and I'd have regret because I never had these moments that my friends had in college, and I never had these moments that my friends had at bachelor parties or bachelorette parties that like, if I actually follow Jesus and what he said to do, I would live my whole life missing out on what is actually good. I had this belief at my core. And can I just have an honest moment with you guys as one of your pastors here of this community? I believe that a lot of you in this room can relate to my story as a kid growing up in church. I believe that there's a lot of you that come to young adults on Thursdays and you know in theory and you know the actions you need to take 
to experience the change that you want to see in your life. You know what to do. You know that you shouldn't be sleeping together before you're married. You know that that relationship is toxic for you and they're not pushing you to Jesus. You know you shouldn't be living together and shacking up and and, and playing marriage. You know that you need to turn off that screen and you need to find accountability for those things that you look at on the gram or on websites or whatever. Like You know practically what to do. You know that if you go out to your friend, with your friends downtown, you're going to have a few too many drinks, and you told God you wouldn't do it, but every single time you go out, you want to have a good time. You don't want to be the weird person. And so you know in theory what to do. You know the actions that you, t- that you need to take to be set free. And you might even come in every single Thursday night and be desperate. You might even come in every single Thursday night and lift your hands and cry and be like, God, will you change me? I feel like I know what to do, but I just don't know how to do it. Like, Jesus, I I need to change. You know what you should do. The problem is you don't actually believe that what you should do is better than the life that you have right now. so So you stay stuck in the same pattern, the same situation and the same lifestyle. And it's not because you don't have the knowledge. It's not because we don't have the discipline or the resiliency. It's because deep down in our soul, we don't have the belief that God is actually as good as he says that he is. It reminds me of this scripture, Hebrews chapter 11, verse six. It says this, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I believe that there are so many of us in this room that believe God exists. I believe there are so many of us that come on a Thursday night and we believe in Jesus. We believe Jesus was real. We believe that he was a historical figure. We believe that he had a lot of good things and taught a lot of great things. We believe that Jesus, maybe we even go as far to say we believe that Jesus is God and that he died for our sins and rose from the dead. There's a lot of us in this room that believe that God exists. We're just not sure that if following him will bring us the fulfillment that we're searching for in life. So we believe that God exists. We're just not sure if he's a rewarder for those that follow him. And here's what's crazy, right? We'll come into this room and we will believe God for our salvation, but we won't believe him for our sexuality. We'll believe God for eternal salvation, but we won't trust him with what he said is good and right in our sexuality. We'll, we'll, we'll believe God for our eternal destiny, but we won't believe what God says about forgiveness. We'll believe that God can save us, but we honestly don't believe deep down in our heart that he can transform us now in this life, not just in eternity but right now, in this moment. And this is why as I was reading this story and reading this father who is so desperate, my soul so identifies with the words of this honest confession, one of the most human confessions I feel like all of us in this room can resonate with in this moment. Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. Jesus, I believe in you. God, I believe in you. But when that thing keeps on coming up in my life or when that text keeps on popping up on my phone or when this relationship keeps on presenting itself, God, would you help me follow you in the areas that I don't believe? 
Jesus, I believe. But will you help my unbelief? Jesus looks at this dad and says, everything is possible. For who? Not for the person that knows what to do. Not for the person that, that lives a moral life. Not for the person that even tries really hard. Jesus says, everything is possible for the one who believes. You know what that means for you tonight? Is that it is possible for you to be free from your addiction to pornography. It's not just a theoretically possible. It is actually possible right now that you can walk out of this room and never look at pornography ever again. For those who believe. It's possible for you in this room right now to heal that deep hurt, that hurt that you know you never tell anybody about because it would just expose you a little too much, that hurt that somebody did to you that you didn't deserve, but it's marked your life and you've walked around being a victim because you were a victim, that hurt that you carry around your entire life. It is possible for you to walk out of here healed if you believe not just that Jesus is, but that he will. That Jesus is who he says he is and will reward, will show up, will be good on what he said he will do in your life. Everything is possible. For the one who believes, would you stand with me, Jesus? Jesus, we believe. In this room, God, we believe. But would you help us in these areas of our, our life where we have unbelief? Jesus, we believe, but will you help us in our unbelief? One of the things that sparked this man's unbelief into faith was simply an encounter with Jesus. And I believe that there's so many of us in this room right here tonight as I was preaching, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a pornography addiction, maybe it's an alcohol addiction or, or medications, maybe, you, I don't know, you're frustrated, you gossip, maybe you have deep resentment in your soul, maybe you wrestle with depression or anxiety, or maybe you have been wounded and someone has taken advantage of you and you can't seem to shake it. And the cry of your heart tonight, because I know it's the cry of my heart, is Jesus, I believe but in this area that I can't shake, or this area that doesn't seem to heal, or this area that I constantly hide, Jesus, would you help my unbelief? I believe right now in this room tonight, there is, the Holy Spirit is gonna work supernatural healing in this room. And I don't necessarily mean physical healing, but I just mean that he's gonna poke on some of your hearts. And he's gonna say, hey, you come here every single week and you lift your hands and you pray and you cry and you know what to do, but deep in your core, you just don't believe. Man, will you let me come in and encourage your faith and push you to that spot of belief? I honestly believe that there are moments that mark us with God. All throughout the Bible, you see these characters that were marked by God in a moment. And I wasn't planning on doing this, but I just want to open up this altar tonight during our first song of worship for anybody that might find yourself in a position 
where you come in night in and night out, you come to church on Sunday, whatever, you're just wrestling. And you feel like the dad where you're at your most desperate moment. And you say, Jesus, I've come to you so many times, but I need a change. God, I believe, but tonight I want you to help my unbelief. I want to walk out of this room different than when I came. I want to put this sin to bed. I want to end this relationship. I want to tear down this addiction. I want to see this wall fall down in my life, not just in a temporary moment, but both now and forever. If that's you, would you start to make your way on up? I want to pray over you as the band begins to play. Jesus, I just pray right now for every single person with the boldness of, uh, boldness of faith, like this father who's at the end of his rope, said, God, I've done everything I know to do. And Jesus said, it's not about what you do, it's about what you believe. All things are possible for those who believe. So Jesus, right now I pray in this moment that you would break chains that haven't been broken in years. God, I pray for the person that has walked in here with a, with a family history of abuse, with a family history of anger, with a family history of alcoholism. God, I pray right now for the person that says, God, I believe I can be the first person in my family to be free from these things, but I've got a track record of unbelief because my dad did it and my granddad did it and his dad did it. No, tonight, I believe right now, God is gonna speak to that unbelief and you will be the one that breaks that habit. You will be the one, man, tonight is the night of salvation. Don't wait. Father God, would you meet us in this moment? Could we have a moment with you that marks us? For those that are struggling with addiction, God, I pray that you would fill them with belief in areas where they don't believe they can be free. Jesus, we love you. Would you meet with us? We just need your presence. We don't need another prayer, another song. We need the presence of the Holy Spirit that breaks chains, that sets captives free. Jesus, do what only you can do. It's our honor and it's our privilege to worship you tonight. It's in your name we pray and everybody said amen.